1: Thank <phone> you. <rings> Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And each week, we're going to reveal the hidden secrets of the public mind, looking at the biggest polling stories driving news, politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. So this week, Kristen is with her family. So I'm very excited to have a guest co-host, Kellyanne Conway. Um, Kellyanne, why don't you tell us a little bit quickly about your background in Republican politics and presidential politics? so thrilled that you can join us this week.
0: Well, thank you, Margie. It's a real pleasure to be here. I know the audience will miss the great Kristen Soltis-Anderson, but thank you for inviting me to be in her stead. So my company turned 20 years old this summer. It's called The Polling Company and Woman Trend. And we basically do what you and Kristen do, which are focus group polls for corporate America, Issues America, and political America, I've worked for Republican candidates like Dan Quayle, Newt Gingrich, Governor Mike Pence, uh, uh, Senator Fred Thompson, the late Jack Kemp was my first client in polling. And in last cycle, I was Newt Gingrich's pollster and senior strategist. And I'm I'm now the president of Keep the Promise 1 Super PAC and director of data analytics for all the Super PACs supporting Senator Ted Cruz.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, fantastic. I didn't know some of those. I didn't know most of those. I knew about and and Kellyanne. Uh, you know, I've I've uh, been watching you since back in the day when I worked at the Melman Group and we had to go into the computer room, the internet room, to send emails and look stuff up and download. <laughs> you're
0: dating both of us. Marge. I I and know. You're not- we're not so old to be quote young mothers. So no, we like congratulate you on Beckett and to say, Lucy, you'll make a terrific big sister. I think that's wonderful. Oh,
1: thank Julian and you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So, um, so what are the top lines today? We got lots of 2016 polls, Kellyanne. What are you seeing out there?
0: We do. In fact, there's a brand new poll coming up from Quinnipiac today that we should probably dig into, Margie. It's the latest dig into the presidential race on both the Democratic and the Republican sides. And as you probably suspect, the Democratic primary race is heating up, too, to rival that of the Republican race. We also um, are looking at, and I think some people can say the Democratic race is, hey, two's company, Bernie Sanders, Maybe the footsteps by Elizabeth Warren through Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. But now you've got Vice President Biden thinking of of jumping in. So the question is, is three's company or three's a crowd? Uh, Before the horrific shooting yesterday in Virginia, and of course, I know I join you in sending my condolences to the families of Allison Parker and Adam Ward. Uh, Pew had come out with recent polling on Americans' views towards guns. I'm sure you'll see more polling come out on that. And then we have some back-to-school polling since we're at the end of August pre-Labor Day. It's that time for... America's students to file back into the next grade and for parents to start wringing their hands over (laughs) academic achievement, standardized testing, school safety, and the rest. Exactly, exactly. So,
1: you know, on the Republican side, I mean, a few weeks ago, Kellyanne, we talked about, I mean, back in the old days where you weren't sure where this Trump thing was going. You thought maybe it's just a one-week or two-week story. So there were four questions that we thought about. You know, is this Trump bump real? What's behind it? Will it last? And does it hurt the Republican Party brand? So, you know, I think it's pretty clear now that the Trump thing is happening, right? I mean, that's now been happening for a while. You do see some people continuing to talk about, well, uh, what's the role of vote propensity in Trump's Uh, Trump's strength, right? Because if you look at national polls, you can't control for the individual ways that parties, that states do their primaries. So not everybody's going to be necessarily a likely voter. They're self-reporting to be a likely primary voter. So the New York Times did something with Civis, the data firm, and they found Trump doing a little bit less well than he has been in other national polls. But And more Republicans are undecided than national polls maybe suggest. I mean, what do you think, Kellyanne, I mean, as a Republican looking at the Trump bump—is it real? Is it going to stick around for a while? I mean, what do you think of uh, the the trends that we've been seeing,
0: Margie? I love the way you framed the question, which is really uncommon in today's coverage of Donald Trump and the Republican race, where it's usually "What outrageous thing did he say today? Who's trying to get his voters? Who's trying to sound like him as his doppelganger?" and and get into some of that uh, electorate that seems to be inspired or enthused by Donald Trump. The way you framed it is exactly right. It's beyond his frontrunner status, which has been cemented for six or seven weeks now in nearly everybody's national polling, including the most recent Quinnipiac poll. He's actually jumped up. He's at 28%. And you see people like um, Jeb Bush and Scott Walker fading downward. Ben Carson is a very strong second in most of these nationwide polls and statewide polls including the ones that I'm doing on behalf of clients, we see Dr. Carson really... In second place at 9, 10, 12 percent in the early states and nationwide polling, and that gets very little coverage because of the so called Trump Bronze. Yes, worthy um, of examination at some point because it's not moving. I know, and, moving I, and he's not moving.
1: I think it was at South Carolina that had him like a 70 percent favorable. I mean, it, I find it kind of, I mean, he's been strong this whole time, not to get too far afield on Ben Carson, but he's been strong basically since the beginning. I mean, fairly strong. And I thought his debate performance was good, but not the best. Best or most newsworthy out of the field, but certainly good. And I'm just always I'm amazed at how well he's been doing and how cons- consistent he's been doing. And again, you're right, how little coverage there is of that.
0: Well, because there's no very little coverage of Dr. Carson and his his views on the issues. Obviously, he doesn't have a voting record, Margie, like so many of these other candidates because he's never held public office before. But I think lots of voters are also confusing unobjectionable with electable. He is certainly unobjectionable. Very few people have anything negative to say about Dr. Carson, particularly in the Republican primary and caucus states. Um, but does that make you electable is the big question in the end. Can you convert that into convincing a fair number of people that you can be their commander in chief, for example? Right. So back to Trump. But I think it's worthy of examination. Because it's like everybody talks about Trump and everyone else. And we almost catapult right over the guy who's number two. Right. And all the polls Ben Garson. So um, the thing, the way you frame Trump is really important because in this latest Quinnipiac poll, Trump tops the list, but he also has a fairly high number of Republicans who say they would never vote for him. Yeah. And Trump and Clinton have the worst scores among the top candidates on honesty. So among Democrats, uh, excuse me, among vote all voters, Clinton is not honest and trustworthy 61 to 34, her lowest score ever. And Trump is not honest and trustworthy 54 to 38. Uh, and I think that's important because the question is, will voters ultimately cast a ballot for someone who they think or their neighbors think, their coworkers think, is, quote, not honest or trustworthy? That would be fairly unprecedented. You know, we Americans like to trust and uh, trust but verify with our candidates. And also, we prefer candidates traditionally, Margie, who are very uplifting and inspiring. So with the exception of 1972, voters in this country have generally gone for the general election candidate that they thought as being more optimistic, forward-looking, just you know, sort of inspiring and positive. So George W. Bush over Gore and Kerry, Barack Obama over John McCain and Mitt Romney, Bill Clinton over Bush forty-one, and then of course Bob Dole. So, with the exception of seventy-two with Nixon's reelect, which had different dynamics at play, we tend to go for people who we find are honest, trustworthy, and. Inspiring and uplifting. So that, that I don't see that changing this time. Um, and that is something that's yet to play
1: out. Yeah, I mean, I guess this leads into our second thing. You know, what's behind it, right? Because, it, you know, I I don't think it, it, I mean, there's a core group of folks who seem to really like Trump, and then, as you know, and we've seen this in other polls, he uh, he wins overall, and then he wins in the Who do you like the least? You know, <laughs> and who do you think right. the work did the worst job in the debate? He wins sort of the top and the bottom, and um, uh, you saw, you know, and I think a lot of people are saying that this comes from the, you know people like him because. Of his personality rather than his positions on issues, Frank Luntz did a poll. I mean, did a focus group with Trump supporters and was really amazed about how um, how angry Republican voters were with the Republican status quo. So there's a rejection, not just of politics as usual, but people rejecting their own party. And then you know this sort of flows into the fourth question about the brand. You know, you you've helped train. I've read train Republicans on how um, how to talk to. women. Women. the Quinnipiac poll shows reversed the reverse numbers of Clinton of d- does tr- Trump understand the needs and problems of women or not 61 percent say no you know 64 percent say Clinton understands women 61 percent say Trump doesn't understand women he's obviously had been in the news a lot for the way he's spoken to and about women as well as Latinos I mean, what do you make of all of all the, of all this news
0: well, part of the you're asking sort of what's behind it. There's yeah. no question that it's motivated in large part by Americans discussed right, left and center with politics as usual, with both parties, with what they see as a dysfunctional, if not at some level, corrupt Washington. And Margie, they have a point. <laughs> and you and I know this. We're professional uh, public opinion researchers. Pew shows record numbers of people unfavorable toward both parties. And I think uh, Republican rank and file voters will not be lulled again into this fiction of electability of who can win and who can't win and coalesce around the front runner. They were sold that on Mitt Romney. They were sold that on John McCain. They were sold that on Bob Dole. They were even sold that on George W. Bush the first time, and he barely won. And they will not be fooled again. And you're seeing that because Republican primary voters right now believe they've got great outlets for their angst and their frustration. And they do have the upper hand. Look at the rise of the outsiders. Yeah. Trump, Carson, Cruz, Carly Fiorina. They're really dominating the conversation, if not the polls in this race currently. And it's the establishment centrist candidates who, again, lost in 2012 and 2008. Those weren't close. Uh, it's it's those candidates this time, Bush, uh, Walker now even, Chris Christie, they're struggling to show that they're electable at some level. Um, I mean, I don't discount Governor uh, Governor Jeb Bush's strength at his fundraising numbers, but the fact is he's been struggling in the polls and he's been struggling with positive press coverage and the idea that last December he boldly went first to set up an exploratory committee and it was supposed to be the shock and all strategy of deterring other entrants into the presidential race. If anything, it invites <laughs> more people. We have 17 candidates. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing about so Trump is tapping into that. I, I'll tell you something about Trump that I believe and I don't hear other people say. He's got a very clever or maybe accidental way of letting voters complete the sentence. So what what I've noticed he does Margie is Donald Trump throws an issue on the table, <laughs> gets applause, talks about it a little bit, and then actually allows you and nine people like you across the country to finish to finish the sentence. In other words, he'll say, illegal immigration is an issue that we have to wrangle. This is crazy that it's such that 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 we're being overtaken in our nation. And then if you're worried about wages and jobs for blue-collar workers, you'll finish the sentence. If somebody else is worried about um crowded hospitals or classrooms, they'll finish the sentence. If somebody else thinks it's unfair that not everybody who works pays taxes, they'll finish the sentence. But he never actually does that. So you don't need to commit completely to his problem identification and and his solution identification. You can finish it however you want. The last thing I'll say about Trump is the reason he continues to rise is that, A, voters now believe that when he's being attacked, they're being attacked. Uh, Whether it's John McCain calling them the crazies or other people saying clown car and nativist. So there's been an odd kind of victim status uh, attributed to Donald Trump when he's attacked by the media or by other Republicans, frankly, the voters feel like they're being attacked.
1: I still think at least, you know, folks on the on the left and certainly the media and even Republicans say, you know, they worry that he's going to be hurting the party's brand with Latinos where he uh, is less popular than any other Republican candidate or with women where, you know, he's had some struggles. I mean, what are what are your thoughts? I mean, do you worry that the longer he stays in, the worse it is for the Republican, the rest of the Republican field?
0: And that may be overblown in the following way, Margie. Nobody thinks that Donald Trump speaks for anybody but Donald Trump. And he himself would be the first to say that. And, uh, you know, we can't have it both ways. We can't have a whole spate of articles accusing Donald Trump of not really being a Republican. He's donated to the Clinton Foundation. He's been a Democrat or a, a liberal Republican most of his life. And he's had these these unorthodox Republican positions and then in the next breath he's going to hurt the entire party by what he says so uh what I think that is is a complete diversion and and frankly you know much more entertaining and fun to cover than Hillary Clinton who's a complete bore and who's having a really difficult time animating and energizing Democratic primary and caucus voters which are as you know Margie a majority female, a majority of the Republican primary and caucus voters are not female, but they certainly are on the democratic side. And she already lost the nomination once when she had a majority female democratic electorate. And she's not doing that well right now. I think the Bernie Sanders and the Donald Trump phenomena are very parallel in that they're the two drawing the largest crowds in their respective parties. And they're the two that are seen as out coloring outside of the lines of their respective parties and and they're they're worth it's worth consideration examination really of both the Sanders and the Trump phenomena because um, these they're I think Bernie Sanders is representing the populist Democrats and some of the progressives but he's you know he's Hillary Clinton has to be hearing these footsteps from from every angle and uh, and, and that that's problematic too. But uh, there's a new ad out that I think is very unfair and very incendiary by Priorities USA, basically saying that Trump's position is the Republican Party's position on immigration. I'll be I'll be curious to see what the fact checkers say about that. Um, but I see already the attempt, the desperate attempt to try to link what Donald Trump says with the rest of the party.
1: Well. Um- You know, I think on immigration you do see a lot of – I mean, you know, you see folks like Scott Walker and Jeb Bush at least entering the conversation. I mean, Cruz had a little – you know, mixed it up a little bit with uh, Megyn Kelly this week on immigration. So, uh, you know, I think – it's certainly changing the conversation to have a little bit more focus on immigration than maybe it would be currently. But you know, who's to say what it'll be like if Trump wasn't in the race? I mean, as far as the Democratic side, we could talk about that now. I mean, it's we don't have anything quite as interesting as the D's nuts poll from last week that <laughs> when people went crazy. I mean, I saw somebody who said their cab driver was asking them about that poll. I mean, that's just a sign of how polling has just kind of t- has taken over, you know, public consciousness. Um, But there has been for us. I know. right? (laughs) I know. Right. That 15 year old outsmarted everybody. Um, So, uh, you know, there is quite a bit of new polling on the Democratic side showing, uh, you know, good news for Sanders. He's up in uh, in uh, New Hampshire poll and PPP. I mean, the last time there was a poll showing uh, Sanders up over Clinton, New Hampshire, everyone went bonkers. This one hasn't made quite the same news splash, but it is another sign that he's strong. I think he was, he's always been expected to be strong in New Hampshire since he's from Vermont. Um, but it's still, you know, it's still a sign that, uh, that there's some movement there. And then the question is, what's the ceiling for Sanders? You know, the folks of 538 seem to, you know, try to entertain a scenario where Sanders, um, will be, you know, in the lead consistently. They, they, you know, tried to, you know, they reluctantly, I guess, upgraded their percentage to around three to five percent chance for him. And I guess the, the new question is, What's going on for Biden? I mean, Biden's had, I think, some quite good numbers. There's one poll out. I think it's the Quinnipiac poll that just shows him a couple points behind Sanders only, and you know he's unannounced. You know, Gallup showed a couple weeks ago that half of Democrats want to see him get in the race. The Quinnipiac poll shows him really beating the whole. I think the whole, just about the whole field on you know understands people like you and honesty and you know some of cares about folks. I mean, those kinds of qualities. Um, you know, if he's looking at the numbers carefully he may say you know there's a there's a real case here to be made and what do you think what's your take
0: well yes i think there's been a great deal of uh, affection and admiration expressed for vice president biden just this week as he seems to be more seriously deliberating whether or not to get into the 2016 race now margie let's be very frank here if hillary were the runaway and vulnerable front runner sure thing all locked up if the grassroots on the, on, the, on the left and the progressives and all, really just the Obama coalition felt so great about her, Vice President Biden, I believe he's a very smart man. He's got a great legacy already. He would not even think about this, but why not? Why not consider it when you know you're more popular than she is, and when you know that she won't—that Hillary will not be running for the third term of Obama Biden. She's mm-hmm. still trying to figure out how to lock arms with it and yet distance herself from it because we know American voters generally do not give that third term um, to the to the party in power. They say, "I want something fresh and new," and that's just generally what they do. But I think these, these numbers for Biden in the Quinnipiac poll are very telling. He actually has better matchups with Republican candidates like Trump and Bush and Rubio. He beats each of them, where Clinton edges them a little bit more. She's within the margin of error with uh, Trump, Bush and Rubio. And she really, she's, she's a point ahead Rubio, for example, so it doesn't even count. But I would say for both both Biden and Clinton, it surprised me in a nationwide poll of voters that they would both be under fifty percent. I mean, they're so much better known than all these other Republican candidates, with the exception of Bush or Trump, perhaps, but much better known on policy than either one of them. So, uh, I think there's real vulnerability on the Democratic side, and I just don't think. I think the big story is still Mrs. Clinton, that she just can't seem to uh, make her own luck, and which you have to do in your own primary situation, and. For all the talk that 2012 was going to learn the lessons of, excuse me, 2016 was going to learn the lessons of 2008 and not repeat the same mistakes, I just don't see that. I see the same campaign again, sort of battling through. And let me just say, since we're uh, female pollsters, and that includes our colleague Kristen Soltis-Anderson, this being her podcast, I'm, I'm most struck by Hillary Clinton in the following way. The three things that usually compel voters to support female candidates just don't apply to her. Female candidates, as you know, are often seen as beyond reproach, more ethical, not part of the old boys network or new boys network of cronyism and secret backroom deals, and they're just seen as more ethical, okay? Uh, Number two, women candidates are generally seen as fresh and new. I've never heard of her, or I think she was our mayor. Now she's running for Congress, or, oh, we'll have the first senator who's a female. Let me learn more about her. There's nothing fresh and new about Hillary Clinton. In fact, the opposite I don't think she's been able to to really leverage her longevity in public service as an asset right now. It seems to to tilt more towards, oh, God, the latest iteration of the Scandalabra. What's next? Um, So she's not seen as fresh and new. You don't want to get to know her better or more because you already feel like you do, for better or worse. And number three, what usually compels voters, male and female, frankly, to female candidates, that they're seen as nurturing. They're seen as good negotiators. They're seen as good caretakers. They're, they're willing to see the, the other side's point of view and try to forge compromise and consensus. Nobody
1: mistakes Hillary Clinton for that attribute. So you're saying there's a chance, huh? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I think there's still a good chance. I think part of why so many Republicans ran this time, Margie, is, well, first of all, I do think Ryan's Priebus and the RNC have done a really good job of learning, um, of, of learning from the devastating presidential losses. Uh, Reince wasn't there in 2008, but 2012, and trying to play catch-up with the Democrats on data, on ground game, and they've done a really good job. You know, they, the Republicans do a terrible job running against um, Barack Obama, the person, the president. They do a pretty good job against running against his agenda in, like, 2010 and 2014, and I think many Republicans thought, you know, we, we can run this time, party out of power, you, you know, gets the, the nod from the voters. Secondly, I, I, I think... Hillary Clinton is not invulnerable. We we know since we know her so well, we know her weaknesses, and she's probably not a good match for 2016 contemporary oh. politics in the way it, tactically or strategically. Um, I mean, I, I look. She she of course it's it's sort of an accepted fact that Hillary Clinton lacks her husband's political skills. But I would say so what? Maybe she doesn't need. Maybe she has other assets, but she just seems to be a little too much Hillary and not enough Clinton. Um, At least to the Democratic primary. And let me just remind people: we Republicans don't lay a glove on her. She lost in the Democratic primary last time. She's having trouble with the Democratic primary electorate this time.
1: I mean, the flip side of all this is, you know, and people have been talking about this in response to the Quinnipiac poll already online is, you know, polls still show that she has an enormous lead over whatever Democratic field, uh, you, you know, people run, whether it's Sanders and Biden or just Sanders, Warren, whatever combination of Democrats, she o- always has a commanding lead. Um, that said, there's clearly enthusiasm for, um, for the Sanders candidacy that is, and here there's a real big difference between him and Trump, as per your point earlier. Sanders isn't attacking Clinton. He's not, you know, he's not criticizing his fellow, you know, his fellow Democrats in this with the same kind of, um, you know, bombastic style that that Trump is. What they do have in common, though, and we've talked about this on the show before, is that neither of them have a lot of trust in polling, <laughs> which mm-hmm. they bo- they both have said publicly. So they have that particular thing very much in common.
0: Well, they do. And they're not afraid to say it. People usually look at politicians as guarded, as practiced, as poll-tested, focus group, you right. know, kid-approved, kid um, and and they don't. They just don't see that with Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. The other thing about Trump and Sanders, which is very appealing, and you would not get this from Biden. You're not going to get this from a Bush. Is that they're willing to take all members of their own party? That's really refreshing. To guess, guess to who your own voters. They like to hear the challenge. I mean, I'm one of these Republicans who loves a good competition. 2016 is like my dream for a presidential race, Margie, because we actually have free market competitive principles at play. We have 17 candidates. If you don't know everything about them, then shame on you. You, you could look up on the internet. You can listen to their speeches. You can watch right. both debates. And so I think in, in terms of pure direct democracy, We've got that this time. The people have raised the most money. Like a Bush, um, even Walker, they're not they're not high in the statewide polls now. In a place like South Carolina or Iowa, the so called SEC primary states, the whole Southern swing um, that will occur on March first, the new Super Tuesday for Republicans. So it's very exciting in that competitive principles apply, and what and what Republicans like to hear the rank and file folks who would vote in Republican primaries and caucuses is that you're willing to stand up to leaders in both parties. If you feel that they are abandoning principle, if you feel that uh, they haven't been completely honest. And I think that's incredibly important in both the Sanders and the Trump messages.
1: Yep. Yep, absolutely. Right. And we'll see how, you know, Biden navigates that because certainly, you know, he he of the three is sort of the, you know, I mean, as the vice president, as sort of the Senate operator is going to have a much harder time running sort of outside, outside any sort of establishment. Um, but let's move on. So um, there was a terrible, tragic shooting yesterday of two journalists, and frequently we see uh, polling outlets test guns in the aftermath of a shooting but but Pew actually did uh did something fairly recently on this um where they tested proposals as well as their sort of global tracking poll question on on guns and you know basically i mean i think the broader and the, the broad view they didn't really see a lot of movement there's still pretty clear support for a variety of stronger gun laws like background checks for, uh, at gun shows and private sales um, prevent mentally ill from buying guns, um, federal database to track guns, and a ban on assault style weapon guns, which, uh, which is always a little bit lower um, in support than some of these other measures. We saw Walmart taking some action, but even here, you had just about half of Republicans say they support a ban on assault style uh, weapons. Um, uh, their overall climate question. And this is something that uh, I've written about and spoken on the show about several times. They show a slight uptick. It's just basically bouncing around of more saying that it's more important to control gun ownership than to protect the right of Americans to own guns. You know, they've been asking this question this way for a really long time, for decades. So I can appreciate that they don't want to change the wording. And obviously people still use the phrase gun control, but... The folks on the stronger gun law side no longer use the phrase gun control. It it does tip the scale. Um, We don't talk about car control when we say people need to have licenses or unsafe drivers need to get off the road. But be that as it may, they're showing that that question is basically unchanged, more or less, from where it's been. It just continues to sort of bounce around sort of within the margin of error. Um, When you look at these, I mean, when I see these, uh, you know, I have the same feeling that a lot of folks on the left, which is you have an issue where – there is overwhelming bipartisan support for some of these policies. I mean, really, you know, you're talking about 85% who support background checks for private sales and at gun shows, yet. Um, yet that doesn't it doesn't match up with the, the political dialogue about guns broadly is in a completely different place than the dialogue over specific gun laws and and it's just a it's just a disconnect that frustrates the left enormously and has for a long time I don't really see that changing anytime in the near future I mean what do you think when you look at these numbers Kellyanne
0: they're pretty static Margie the only time there's an uptick a real difference in polling on gun rights versus gun control, as we said, is when when a tragic shooting happens, like, God forbid, Newtown, Connecticut, or Columbine, back in 1999, really probably showed the, the fevered pitch at its height for people just throwing their arms up in the air and saying, do something already about this. And, of course, yesterday's tragic shooting of two innocents. Um, I think we also need to... But there's very little there's very little movement in public opinion, and it actually fades... It almost fades to dark at, with it with the passage of time. We remember and mourn the victims. We shake our heads in disbelief that people could have such callous disregard for human life. But very little happens on guns, and frankly, very little happened has happened in Barack Obama's six and a half years as president on guns. And I don't think this will be a very positive part of his legacy. He couldn't resist yesterday to talk about. I mean, it was a twofer for him. Um, instead of addressing what, what appears to be some significant problems, uh, a very troubled man who shot these two innocents dead and then eventually took his own life when he was surrounded, instead of addressing that, he went right for the, the usual talking points, which are very disappointing to me to hear the president just talk about, we have to do something, stop gun violence, this is worse than terrorism. Why even throw that in there? I mean, it's worse than 9-11. It's worse, in other words, it's all bad. Um, and I just think the president has been really deft, DEFT, in mourning with the nation when we've seen tragedies like that in the movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, certainly Newtown, certainly the shootings out in Arizona uh, with, with Congresswoman Giffords and, and those who, who lost their lives in that shooting. But he hasn't done anything on gun control, and that includes the first two years of his presidency when he had a Democratic Congress. So I don't think this will be a positive side of his legacy. Hillary Clinton tweeted yesterday something pablumish like, we must stop gun violence. The answer, a quote, we must act to stop gun violence, and we cannot wait any longer. What exactly does that mean? She, she and her husband have been in public life or public office for 30 years, so and, and anyhow, it's it's a very frustrating issue on both sides. Um, but I will tell you that people respect the Second Amendment. There's a lot of support for the Second Amendment. I think we should uh, we should stop we should stop just always talking about gun control and not look at the underlying trouble of people like the guy in Aurora, certainly the guy in in Newtown. And let's just say. The guy yesterday, this guy yesterday, they found all, all types of ha- very troubling evidence at a scene he had he had filed two racial discrimination lawsuits that were dismissed from places that he used to work. Um and he went on a tirade anybody can pull up his Twitter feed. It's very troubling to see what motivated him to take two lives. Uh but that may not be politically correct to discuss. We just want to turn to I think we have to talk about all of the above, Margie.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think you know. I mean, folks on the left look at the fact that there are more laws weakening gun, you know, uh, access. You know, making it easier to have access to guns and making it harder to have access to guns as a sign that the political debate, the policy debate, is just not in sync with where with where people are. Um, it, but anyway, so moving on oh, to well, let me
0: let me add yeah, one more thing yeah. um, because I just read it this morning, so maybe we all are not aware. Uh, the killer in the Virginia journalist shoot, reporter shootings passed the background check and bought his gun legally. The same was true with the Charleston shooter um who gunned down nine African Americans who had welcomed him in to worship with them and then whose families turned around and forgave him um publicly which is <laughs> which is just so awesome. I can't. I, I have a hard time still months later wrapping my head around it. God bless all of them. But they bought, they, they acquired their guns legally. And in the case of the shooter in Virginia just this week, he passed a background check. So we have to, again, if, if we're going to add more laws and more laws, I just don't know if somebody can draw a straight line between the tragedy that occurred and what more laws would do and say that that could have prevented that. I, I know I had read stories in after the Newtown, Connecticut shooting, that more laws would not have helped because his his mother bought the firearms and if, including a firearm that her son used to kill her so it, it's um we have to just talk about other instead of just putting more laws in the books, how do we treat the underlying problems here too with the shooters themselves?
1: I, you know, I agree all of the above. I mean, look some states have a harder time enforcing some of the laws that we have. We don't have consistent uh, technology to do uh, database sharing across the, across the country. and so it just it's a bit of a sieve at least in terms of uh, making it easier for people to shop around for sort of the easiest place where they can get access to guns even if you know we're t- we're no longer talking about the the horrific tragedies that that make it into the news um so it, it, turning into our last topic which is um, back to school so you know we're both moms I'm going to my new new school new parents orientation this afternoon actually uh-huh. and uh, for a brand new school but we don't have any testing yet at for uh, for four-year-olds thankfully so, <laughs> so I don't have to worry about all that but but Gallup has a new poll out with um, the group PDK or Phi Delta Kappa um, apparently they've been doing this poll for years and um, now they're doing doing it sort of mixed mode, what they usually used to do it all by telephone. Now they're doing part online, just as that's part of the trend these days. Um, But they have found what I think a lot of polls find. You know, people think that uh, their own school is great, but that schools in the country are struggling. They're worried about too much testing. They think parents should be able to opt out of opt their kids out of testing but they wouldn't necessarily opt their own kids out of testing Um, and also worrying about uh, about lack of funding uh, of as the biggest problem facing schools and also overwhelmingly get your you know be required to get your kids vaccinated so um, a lot of stuff in here I guess showing both left-leaning tendencies right-leaning tendencies um, sort of what you'd expect of a cross-section on on, uh, on education what do you think Kellyanne?
0: I totally agree. And between us, we have six children. Um, I, I don't think Beck is going to go to school, but I'm sure he's already a savant like his big sister. <laughs> um, but he'll, he'll be homeschooled for now, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Everybody's for homeschool until a certain age. Anyway, uh, I, I found this poll to be fascinating, but also, as you point out, Margie, to confirm much of the data that we already know. But I love polls like that, too, to show us there really hasn't been a change in trending that, people, that parents use. Are fairly constant across the education spectrum. I was most struck in the Gallup polling, the back to school polling Margie, by how consistently in agreement blacks and Hispanics and whites were on do they number one, do they think there's too much standardized testing? Yes. Do you that that's children true. should be vaccinated. You know, real real support across the races and ethnicities and real support across the po- the, the political parties. Yep. In fact, I noted 94% of Democrats. Say that certain vaccinations should be required before kids can go into a public school. It's 94% of Democrats, 80% of Republicans. Um, but then you also saw agreement about the, the you also see agreement re- usually about curriculum too. You know, a lot of parents want us to get back to basics in our curriculum. And uh, this Common Core is a real wedge issue in the Republican primary this year. The Republican primary wedge issues are not guns and gay marriage and abortion, the way some think. There's going to be not a lot of difference within the Republican Party on those issues. The the real wedge issues are illegal immigration, Common Core. So I think you see that reflected here too. I am a parent of four school children who live under Common Core in New Jersey, and it is every much the conundrum and the frustrating nightmare that people say it is we, my husband and I have law degrees, Margie. We are um, professionals who have a difficult time doing math homework with our now fifth graders, no joke. And it becomes very frustrating. I think what really changed on common core, whereas you first had many of the I don't want the government mandating or telling us what's in our children's curriculum. You had many libertarians and conservatives and Republicans saying that you now have lots of folks right, left, and center who don't like, Who don't like the fact that um that they can't help their kids with their homework that's very frustrating to them or that these kids are tired and nervous you have reports of second graders feeling anxiety over standardized testing and and what good does that do um one thing i will say about these polls and 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 generally speaking is I, i think the whole vaccination debate now being included in the gallup polling and in i think everyday conversation water coolers cappuccino counters. Is fascinating because what I see in the public schools is not mine, of course, but what I see in the public schools is because we make sure not is that we're trying to purge you know Christmas from the calendar and Halloween is the black and orange. And don't bring in cupcakes because they're filled with sugar, bring in fruit kebabs that'll make it really popular in Lucy's class. Margie, um, fruit kebabs over cupcakes.
1: I'm already um, that kind <laughs> of that mom, <laughs> yeah,
0: there you go. no, no, no it's, it's all fine. I bring in both, um, it's all fine, but but the fact is that we, we have all these you know kind of quiet mandates about what we can't, but your kid can be one sneeze away from mine and not be vaccinated. I think that was a real demarcation um in this polling. It's not even close. Yeah what Americans think. And I, I always like to see a great deal of consensus on issues like that. And you see it here when, when, it, when it comes to kids' health.
1: Yep. And Tacoma Park can sometimes be ground zero for some of that vaccination stuff. So um, so I'm glad to see that Democrats are uh, are also pretty uniform in their support for vaccinating kids. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought this stuff, you know, I thought the, these polls were really interesting. I, too, noted the pretty uh, pretty wide degree of consensus across racial and party lines. You really don't see that very often. And with uh, public education when you're talking about public schools there was a interesting two-part series on this american life for folks who listened to that show where they talked about school integration and you can hear you know the real the real fault lines that come up when people talk about public schools frequently um i've certainly seen it in focus groups but you don't you didn't see it in these results which i think is is always a good uplifting sign
0: Yes, and I think people are, Gallup asked the question, we've asked it in our polling too, um, in similar ways, would you want to move your child, you know, from, um, from the school if you could, or, and there's still a fair number of people who think they can always do better, and we all have mom's guilt wondering, you know, is this the best education for each child, uh, loving them all equally, but responding to each one differently naturally, but the fact is, Margie, that um, people do feel pretty good with their local schools. But that number two has been a little bit static, if not declining over time. And I think part of it is also projection. It's, well, geez, you know, my kids are in the school. If I don't think it's great, what right. the heck am I doing? You know, right. that's my first responsibility. So I think sometimes those are inflated. What I see happening and it, it, across this country, and, and certainly in certain states and places like New York City, is the rise of charter schools, the rise of school choice programs, the rise of school homeschooling. People are looking for free market alternatives many times to our zone schools, to our traditional public schools. And I'm saying this as a public school parent. Um, and, but they are looking for alternatives, and many are finding them. What I mean, Eva Moskowitz, former Democratic City Council member in New York City, has done with her charter school network, Success Academies in New York, is nothing short of magical Um, thousands of students. She's been in a fight with Bill de Blasio up there, I know. It's too bad it's taken a political turn. But if you just focus on the students and not the politics, you would be incredibly impressed. These children are smart. They're respectful. They wear their uniforms every day. I love the fact that the classes in the charter schools are not called second grade or fourth grade. They're called the class of 2000, let's just say 36. And it's the year that these children would graduate from college. Oh, that's Incentivizing good. Them, yeah, it's so smart. Well, I wish it had been my idea. It wasn't. Incentivizing <laughs> them from the beginning to go that route, which I think is so compelling. Um, so there's, there's much to unpack, but I like the fact that we, we should all look at education as an incredibly important issue. I've been a huge um, proponent of having Republicans get on offense more on education, they they get to Washington and they say, "Well, I I got to stick a sock in my mouth about education right. because I believe in a reduced federal law." It's like, well, why don't you start just by saying that, and then highlight what does work in the system, and highlight all of these free market alternatives that many parents and their ch- their scholars, their children are leveraging.
1: Yep. That would be smart. That would be smart. Well, I've thought this was a fascinating conversation. Even if it put Beckett to sleep, I still think it was pretty interesting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hopefully, hopefully Beckett is the outlier with the audience. <laughs> right.
1: Especially if you're driving, guys. Stay awake. Um, so what we learned this week, maybe the Democratic primary is getting more interested in the, than the Republican primary. Could that possibly be? Uh, the polling on stronger gun laws doesn't change much. And sadly, the number of gun Crimes doesn't seem to change much either. If it's back to school time, then it means it's back to polling time. Although we no longer really seem to take that end of August break in polling that we once did, I guess because everyone goes back to school at all kinds of different times. But um, you can find us at The Pollsters on Twitter, at The Pollsters, on Facebook at The Pollsters where we post all kinds of stuff, not just what we talk about on the show. We have show notes with links to everything we've discussed. You can reach me on Twitter at Margie O'Meara. And where can people find you kellyanne on twitter
0: at kellyanne Poles, p-o-l-l-s k-e-l-l-y-a-n-n-e-p-o-l-l-s real pleasure to be with you margie and beckett and <laughs> fill in for our friend Kristen today
1: great well thanks so much and i uh, hope to have you back sometime thank you take care Bye bye when we listen to the radio we never agree on the station
0: classic rock
1: hip-hop pop guys quiet the one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switch to MetroPCS.
0: Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG, when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the t mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.